If we want to make our way back to our seats, we'll get started. I think maybe my mic is a little spritzy. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. So today we're going to talk about pursuing peace through difficult times. We have plenty of difficult times, I think, to reflect on this morning over the past several years with COVID and national crises, um, international crises, including the Russian war in Ukraine. Um, and then this week we had a historic Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, which is certainly dominating my social media feeds. Um, we may have also had personal difficulties that we can reflect on this morning. Um, maybe some, some, like a difficult time comes to mind, something that you've experienced in your own life. Um, physical or mental health issues, maybe difficulty at work or financial hardship, um, pain in our most important relationships, or maybe the loss of a loved one. Can, all of these things can rob us of our peace. So this morning we're going to look at James chapter 1, um, starting in verse 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So let's just take a moment and pray and thank God for his word. Lauren, thank you for the way that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning and that you would hide me behind your words, that everything that you want to say, you would communicate to us, and um, anything else would just fall by the wayside, Lord, and wouldn't, wouldn't trip us up. God, I ask that you would meet with us today and that you would reveal yourself more fully. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in difficult times, we need wisdom. Um, so what is wisdom? Uh, I think like a lot of times when thinking about wisdom, I think of like all oh, the wisdom of the ages or, you know, like I, I think of like, you know, like wisdom of like as like a body of knowledge. But another simple definition for wisdom is just skilled living. So being skilled in the relationships that we have, skillfully relating with God, being skilled in relating to other people, um, especially like a variety of other people, like a wise person is skilled in relating to people who are a lot like them and a, not a lot like them, old people and younger people and little kids. A wise person is skilled in dealing with difficult people and in interacting with really pleasant people. Um, another thing that a skilled person can do is they're, they're skilled, or that a wise person can do is they're skilled in navigating the various circumstances of our lives. So our lives don't look the same, right? Like we, we don't all just have like a happy time or a sad time, um, but we're going to go through a lot of different times. Maybe we'll even go through happy and sad circumstances at the same time. And a wise person is really skilled in walking through all of those things. And so in this passage, we see that God will give us wisdom and he'll give it to us generously. God is a giving God. Um, in the New Testament, the most common adjective used to describe God is this giving or generous. 
Um, if you, and I've got kind of a silly analogy this morning because, of course, God never sleeps. But imagine that God slept. Um, every morning when God woke up and, and checked himself in the mirror and said to himself, what's my plan for the day? What am I going to do today? Every morning he would say, I know, today I'm going to give. And then the next day when he wakes up and, and brushes his teeth and then he'd think about his plans for the day, what am I going to do today? God would say, I know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to give. And tomorrow I'm going to give, and the next day, and the next month, and the next year. And it's been this way for all of human history. God gave us a garden in Eden. He gave humans dominion over the earth. Um, He gave us limits. And then when we messed up the whole thing by uh, eating the forbidden fruit, um, he gave us a way to continue in our lives. Um, He gave us, like, the boundaries of getting booted out of the Garden of Eden, but he also gave us a plan through the family of Abraham and then through the Jewish people. He brought Jesus Christ to earth, came himself incarnate, God with us, and he gave us a way to be reconciled to himself, to be forgiven of all of our sins, and to have the righteousness of Christ so that we can participate in God's work of redeeming the world. And for us, for those of us born, you know, not like 2,000 years ago before Jesus, um, if that's you, by the way, I'm so interested in talking to you, but for us in our modern day, God has given us a world in which he is present and he is near, and he has revealed himself to us, and he'll participate with us in our lives, and he'll give us good works for us to do so that we can participate with him. So now verses 6, 7, and 8 Um, this part about when you ask, you must not doubt. Um, These have often been misapplied and misunderstood. In fact, I might even go so far as to say that like these verses are perhaps the most commonly misunderstood verses in the New Testament. I don't have any data on that or any science on that, but I've gotten questions about these verses. I've heard other people with questions about these verses. It seems like it comes up a lot. And I think part of the reason is because they've been co-opted by some really lousy teaching like those who might preach a prosperity gospel, which maybe you've heard is like name it and claim it, you know? Like if you believe hard enough, then you'll get the things that you want from God. They turn to these verses and they say this, when you ask, you must not doubt. And that can turn into just all kinds of, I mean, on the light side, goofy thoughts about how we have to interact with God, but then also some like real damaging, like some real obstacles between how we can relate with God. Because a lot of times I think we can feel like, well, I have to ask and I have to not doubt. What does that mean to not doubt? And the, the, the thing that this is not saying is you have to feel a certain way when you pray. Or you have to, you have to be sure that you're going to get the thing that you're asking for. In this church, we often we encourage people to ask for healing. We believe God still heals today and that God that's something that God wants to do and he can do and he does do. Um, we actually had some uh, stories of healing just in the, in the last months, like kind of early in this uh, year. And um, I think something that we're really careful about whenever we teach people how to pray for healing is we say, we never, if it doesn't happen, if the person doesn't get healed, we never say, oh, you didn't have enough faith, that's why God didn't heal you. You didn't feel it hard enough. You didn't, you didn't believe it. You didn't, like, you didn't rev yourself up. That's something, like, we get really, really frustrated, touchy, and, like, draw a hard boundary on. We never blame a person who didn't get healed for not having enough faith. We would never say that's the reason why that's happened. Faith, uh, not doubting, in this passage in particular, um, I heard a, 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 preacher, a preacher I really respect. He said, you know, it's, it's not like that, sh- that movie, that really old movie, um, Miracle on 34th Street. Have you seen that? 
two and a half hour long advertisement for Macy's. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a little girl and she's very serious, right? Like she's like a no-nonsense little girl. She's got a no-nonsense mom and, and it's uh, super cute. And um, she doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And then they, they, like she has a journey, you know, and at the end she's saying, she's sitting in the car, she's saying, I do believe in Santa Claus. I do, I do, I do believe in Santa Claus. We don't have to do that as followers of Jesus. This is some good news. We don't have to say, I do believe God will heal me, or I do believe God will provide for me in my financial difficulty, or I do believe that God will help me reconcile with my spouse, my parent, my child, my friend. We don't have to say, God, I, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you. We don't have to do that. In fact, this word doubting, it could be literally translated in the New Testament as not being of double mind. When it says, don't doubt, don't be of two minds, or don't be too sold. Like, essentially, like, be in agreement with yourself. So maybe even, like, have integrity in the way that you ask. And integrity meaning, like, all of the parts support the whole. Like, all of these things are interlocking, and they make the structure of the whole stronger. This building has integrity because the way that the walls meet the roof and the way that the roof is structured, like, we have the building holds itself up. It doesn't need help to be held together. So it's not about how we feel. We don't have to avoid God if we aren't feeling it. Um, and it's not double-minded to pray and ask God if we feel like we have intellectual questions about God. It's totally fine to have intellectual questions about God. We all have intellectual questions about God. And I would encourage you, you know, if we dig deep, a lot of the questions that we have about God, a lot of our intellectual questions, Christians who have come before us who are smarter than us have found some really good answers to. Not every answer. There's still a faith component in, in following Jesus, but there are a lot of answers out there to be had if we, um, if, we, if we commit ourselves, you know. But having an intellectual question about what God says or who God is or, or how he's going to be or how he's going to be with me, that's not something that's going to prevent God from giving something to you. It's not going to prevent God from giving you wisdom. James isn't talking about feelings of faith. He's not talking about those who have intellectual questions. Um, instead, this verse is about our loyalties and our commitments. We don't need music playing or a track record of, of asking and receiving with perfect clarity. Um, to, be, to not be double-minded, it means that when we pray, we have to bring our whole hearts to God. So, for example, if an example of being double-minded, like if we say, God, help me to know how to deal with this conflict with my spouse or my loved one, but God, don't tell me to forgive them. Help me to deal with this spouse with my con or conflict with my spouse or loved one, but don't tell me that I need to be vulnerable and take the first step. That would be being double-minded, saying, God, help me do this, but not in this way. I need something from you, but I want to I keep you out of this aspect of my life. If we were to say, help me with my depression or anxiety, but don't talk to me about my social media habits or how often I binge watch on Netflix. That might be a, a case of being double-minded. It would make it hard to hear from God. If we were to say, tell me how to get through this financial hardship, but don't tell me to give a tithe or an offering to my church. Like, that would be too far. That's beyond the pale, God. That's, that's way too personal. <laughs> Help me to find uh, deep relationships, friendships, maybe even a romantic relationship, but don't talk to me about the fact that I'm using pornography. Don't talk to me about my sexual practices. That's a way we could be double-minded. Or show me how to navigate this conflict with my child, but don't tell me to call my mother. <laughs> you know? <laughs> These are ways that, that it can stop us from hearing from God. We must give our whole hearts to God to receive wisdom. If we picture our life as a house with lots of different rooms in the house, we must ask ourselves, are we letting God into every room? Are we welcoming God to lead us and to direct us in every aspect of our lives?
Or are we holding something back? Are we saying about some areas of our lives, this is mine, this is for me to be in charge of, I have the right, I'm entitled to rule in this part of my life. God, I want your help in that part, but I want you to stay away from this part. That's what James is saying when he says, don't be double-minded. That's what he's saying when he says, don't doubt. If we plug our ears and then ask God to speak to us, we won't be able to hear from God. So we have to come to God with our whole hearts in order to be able to receive from the Lord. In preparing for this sermon, um, we actually, Josh and I, we were talking, we were praying through a bunch of different passages because we had kind of planned on doing one thing, and um, then, like, as we were going along, you know, we kind of got to some other things, and, and we spent some time reflecting on a time when we moved to Philadelphia to plant a vineyard church, and um, we failed spectacularly. Um, the vineyard has a really great theology for failure, by the way. Like, the, we are, we really are a movement of people that's kind of like, eh, if you're not failing, you're not trying. You know, have you ever heard this, like, a play on that, like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying? Have you ever heard anybody's uncle say that to them when they were little? Yeah. If you're not failing, you're not trying. We see that in the vineyard of, like, let's take risks, and it's okay to take some big risks with God. And I think something that can be um, difficult to understand and, like, really, like, stretches our, our theology, like, stretches, like, the practical ways that we live out the way that we follow Jesus is um, when we go and we fail and God doesn't just, like, snap his fingers and wave his magic wand and, and guarantee success. You know, like taking a risk on God isn't the same as saying, God, I want to guarantee about something before I take a step in faith, because that wouldn't be at all a step in faith. Um, Josh and I moved out to Philadelphia, and we, uh, we had kind of this like whirlwind trip. We went out there, and it was like, okay, we have to find a place to live today. Like, we have to, like, put a, a deposit down on, a, on, a, on like, a, a, a house or an apartment to rent because we have to, like, fly home tomorrow, and then we have to pack up all of our stuff, and we have to come out here, and it was, like, a big, it was just this, like, whole big thing. And, um, and so we prayed about it a lot, you know, like, there was a big, like, God, help us find a place to live, you know, and we're trying to have our ears open, like, God, into every aspect of our lives and stuff. And um, another time, I don't know, like, this has happened to me throughout my life. As an introvert, there are times standing next to my super, super, super extroverted husband, that I might come across as, like, a little bit less friendly. Um, I try not to, like, let the other person see it, but, like, Josh will get to talking to somebody, and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, please stop. Like, I just need to go. You know, <laughs> he'll get into a conversation, and, like, somebody will be about to say something I'm super interested in, but first Josh will, like, divert them with a question about something else because he's interested in everything, you know? So, um, you know, like, like we were talking to my father-in-law the other day, and uh, my father-in-law was telling us about this sailing class that maybe he wants to do or, or involve the kids in. Like, maybe he'll, you know, take his grandson sailing. And, like, I'm like, I'm wanting, I need, like, the hard details, right? Like, what are the days? What is the cost? How much time? Like, what time to what time? Who's driving? Like, what's the whole plan? And, like, I'm just on the cusp of getting the details. And my husband says to his dad, because you sailed when you were a kid, Right. And this kicked off like an hour and a half, you guys, of sailing stories from like Lake Huron up in Michigan. Um, not one, but two near-death experiences that my father-in-law had learning to sail, which is really making me cool down on like, should my grandsons go sailing with you, you know? Um, but it was good. We talked about a lot of things. I learned some stories that I wouldn't have learned. I think I might have enjoyed the story more if I'd like had my details first and then we could have. But... Okay, like, I'm like, patience, let me embrace, let me embrace. So anyway, so we're in Philadelphia, we're looking for a place to stay, and this same kind of thing happens. We go to this one, we go to this one place, they're having kind of like an open house, 
whenever and we, we walk in and we see the space and it's small because like, you know, in the Midwest you kind of have like your room and then you move to a city and everything gets smaller and all the prices go up like with alarming speed. And so we're in this place that costs like, like an arm and both legs and like the kids, you know, every month for rent. And, um, and it's teeny tiny and I'm just thinking like, I don't know about this. And Josh gets to talking to the young lady who um, like is also there to look for this space and she's thinking this might work for her. Um, but like there were like two other couples too. I mean, it was like really tricky. Like it is like a place that you could rent in Philadelphia for a thousand dollars, which is makes it like really popular, but it's also really small. So we're there and the guy, the, the real estate guy is like not exactly being a professional about it. He's kind of like whoever writes me the first, I think at one point somebody said, so how are you going to decide if we all want it? He's like, whoever gets to check in my hand first, you get the place, <laughs> you get the place. So we kind of held back because I was like, oh, we really want this place. Um, but then I also like my competitive spirit is kicking in of like, oh no, like loss aversion. What if we can't get this space? Um, and we get to talking to one of the uh, like a young woman there, and she gets her check in the guy's hand first, and and so she gets the space. So what do we need to do now? We need to go somewhere else to find a place to stay. Like, look how competitive this was. We showed up literally with four other. It was like the freaking Hunger Games to try to get a place to rent. And what does my extroverted husband do? He makes friends with a young woman that just beat me out for the apartment that I probably didn't want anyway. <laughs> and uh, like, we gotta go. We gotta find a place to live today. And he's like chit-chatting. Her name's Kate. She was really nice. Um, <laughs> and she was talking about, she like works in finance and she moved to Philly from like Ohio. And she, uh, she had a dog that she had to leave with her parents, and Josh probably remembers the dog's name. I mean, like, we got deep. Like, I know, I know Kate's life. Um, <laughs> but in the process, in the process of all of this, um, this conversation and stuff, we found out where is she moving from? Oh, she's moving from this other house and this other place that hasn't been listed to rent yet. And I'm thinking, like, now like, my, my ears perk up, and I'm starting to see the benefit of having this, like, super chatty husband, you know, of, like, oh, we're getting, like, some... Some like secret special information, you know, and um, and she gives us the address, and we drive on the street, and we kind of look at the place and peer in the window, and um, she had given us the um, the the like number to text her landlord, and um, so then we text the landlord, and <laughs> I say to the landlord like we're friends of Kate's, <laughs> we're interested in seeing the place, and he's like so you're. You're friends, but you haven't ever been inside the place. And I said, well, I mean, like acquaintances, you know, we met today. And, um, <laughs> and, so, and so he like comes by after work and he opens up the house and we look at this cute little trinity and it was expensive, but it was the place that we rented. Like that's where we moved in, in Philadelphia. And it was just one of those things where like we had prayed, we'd been taking, I mean, this huge risk trying to church plant, you know, and we had... Um, like taking a, we, we, I mean, we're just taking a risk and trying to like, we've got this really tight deadline to find a place to live. And my husband in his extroverted wisdom, instead of seeing this contest where we all have to fight for a very limited resource, you know what I mean? Like I'm ready to like, I don't know what happens in the Hunger Games, paint my face like a log and climb a tree and um, <laughs> learn archery. Um, but instead my husband makes a friend. He wisely, skillfully related with another person. And we got an inside track, and we got connected to somebody, and, um, and I, he was brave. You know what I mean? Like, we were, and, and we found a place to live, and we lived there for a year. Um, we've got cute pictures of Bolt as a baby. Um, 
<laughs> we had Ender when we lived in that house, <laughs> and um, it was, uh, it'll, it'll always be like one of our, one of our homes, you know, like one of the places when you remember like your teeny little kid, like playing and falling asleep with all of his toys, like that was the house where our baby played and fell asleep with his toys with sunglasses on one time. He's so cool. Um, so I don't know, like we have to give our whole hearts to God to receive wisdom. And so I know I gave a lot of examples of what it might be to be double-hearted, but some of it is even just like our own personality stuff, you know, like, like I had to like not interrupt Josh and say, please talk, please stop talking to this person who beat us for this apartment that I don't want, and because we gotta hit the road, Jack. Like we gotta make something happen. We've gotta, we've gotta do something. But like I think really God was able to allow me to benefit from the wisdom of my husband and gave us wisdom of like how to skillfully live in that situation by kind of helping me slow down, even just on like personality traits that I have that like I don't think it's sinful to be introverted. I mean, gosh, I hope it's not sinful to be introverted. We, I got a lot more to apologize for than I thought that I did. But, um, but, you know, we've got to use, like, the diversity that we have, like, within our families and within our friendship groups and all this. Like, we all got to work together on this stuff. So um, with all that said, let's just go ahead and close with James 3, starting in verse 13. Um, so we're just, like, fast-forwarding a couple chapters in James, okay? So this is him talking about wisdom. He says, do you want to be counted wise? I'm going to read this first in the message, and then we'll read it again in NIV. Sometimes I find that really helpful in my devotional life to, like, read it in more than one translation. The message is really more of a paraphrase. It's trying to bridge the gap to help our modern ears understand what's going on in the Bible. But I really like both translations. I really like the, the, the like, different thoughts get emphasized for me in reading this. So here's what James says. He says, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's not the way you live. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I said that exactly wrong. I said the opposite of what the Bible says. Let's back up. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. All right, and James gets real serious here. He says, mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Let's read this again in the NIV. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James doesn't pull any punches. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This verse 17 
Wisdom from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Oh, man. <laughs> like, in difficult times, I have fallen very short of this list. In fact, I maybe find myself earlier up in the list when James is saying all of the things that we're not supposed to do. And maybe we can all say that. Maybe we can all reflect on this and say, oh, yeah, I don't know if, I'm, if I hit that mark all the time. Peace-loving and considerate submissive and full of mercy and good fruit. And good fruit, I think of like fruit of the spirit, right? Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, I haven't sung this song in a while, so I, I stumbled there. Um, and then impartial and sincere. But maybe you can also, and I think this might be a nice moment, to take a minute to reflect on, has there ever been a time when a friend or a loved one has met the mark? Where someone is modeled for you what it looks like to pursue peace in just this way? That's happened to me even just a little bit in the last couple of weeks. I've had some people really treat me in a difficult time in a way that is so kind and so gentle and peace-loving and full of mercy, and it is a balm. You know, for us to give these gifts to one another, like being wise isn't just going to make your life good. It's going to make the lives of the people around you good. And when things are difficult, you'll be able to get through them together with the people that you love and care about, even if things don't turn out exactly how you might have wanted. Like having that peace and that affection for one another and being wise that way through difficult times is something that God wants for all of us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead and glorified by God. And he broke down the wall of hostility between us and God so that we can be forgiven whenever we fall short, and that we can grow in wisdom and grace so that we can be more like him and bless others. And that's good news for me. I need that forgiveness. I need that closeness to God. I need to be taught, and I need to grow in wisdom because I don't have it all figured out. And I think that's going to be true for all of us in all of the relationships that we have. So when we, as we grow in wisdom and grace, we become uh, more like him. We can be peaceful, non-anxious presence in the lives of our family and friends and the people that we care about, the people that we work with. We can increasingly take on the likeness of Christ to join in his great work to repair and redeem the world. So would you stand? Josh is going to come up and play just one ministry song today, and we're going to have time to pray for one another. If you'd like to receive prayer, you can come up to the front. Someone will put their hand on your shoulder. They'll ask how they can pray for you. If, um, if during this sermon you felt like your heart was burning in you, like you felt like, oh yeah, I need more of that, like I think that's, sometimes that's how God sounds when he's encouraging us to come up and to ask and to receive from him. Um, if you're really tracking with me during the sermon, you're like, yes, yes, I'm on board with all this. That might be God encouraging you to go pray for somebody, and you don't have to wait for them to come up to the front. Just be sure to ask, because we're, we're all about consent and prayer. So you can ask someone um, if, if God highlights somebody to you in the room. I want to encourage us today for a call to ministry just to ask God for anything, everything and anything that we need. Let us ask God. And if you would say like, oh, I don't know if maybe I am double-minded about something. Maybe I am trying to hold back some rooms in my house from God because I don't want him to come into that, that area. I just want to encourage you, like, we can pray, God, I'm resisting you in this area or that area. Help me to give myself over to you. Help me want to want to give my whole heart to you. That's a great prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a biblical prayer. These are great prayers because they include our confession of our weakness. Because God's grace is sufficient. And in our weakness, his power is made perfect. 
So let's sing and worship God and get through.